Hello everybody and welcome to Sound of Play.
Every Wednesday in Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. Ah, but joining me, Leon Cox, in Sound of Play 269 is composer for, well, Star Wars Republic Commando and Star Wars Battlefront 2 and some work on the Secret of Monkey Island Special Edition as well and Counter Spy and Star Wars The Old Republic and yoku's island express but what we're here mainly to talk about and enjoy today is the mafia definitive edition so it's obviously jesse harlan welcome to sound of play thank you <clears throat> no, excuse me Hi, jesse. thank you <laughs> <laughs> the frog yeah <laughs> arrived uh you've been doing loads of press i know this um but yes thank you for joining us uh i've got a lot of questions about this but listener we've already heard what was as good a place as any to start, which kind of put itself in that position on the show, because that's what it's called. So Mafia Definitive Edition is uh, out now at the time of recording and at the time you'll hear this podcast on the 30th of September. Obviously, it's a kind of remake of a 2002 game. Mm -hmm. And what makes a lot of sense is Jesse doing the music for it because uh, you did the new score for Mafia Mm -hmm. for for that game when that came out so my first question is and I, I hate to you know bring up another composer but obviously you're kind of doing is it how 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 is it working as regards to vladimir mm -hmm. simonek's original score is it com is it was it just like we'll forget all that did you listen to it did you get into it and re try to recreate its vibe or how does that how does that work yeah uh when i when i first got a call from 2k um asking me if i was available and interested in working on the game they came to me and the very beginning conversation was we're making a remake of the game and we would like a new score for it so i knew already that when i was coming into it i was going to need to do something different i i've only listened through vladimir's score twice the first okay. time was when they first called me and I, I listened through it to take a listen and see what the game sounded like and then i listened to it again this past august after i was done with the soundtrack and i just sort of thought well i wonder how they compare um now that it's been like two years and i'm done and my mm. version's wrapped up i wonder how how close it is to what um to what vladimir did and mm. i think there's a lot of uh emotional similarities but um mm -hmm. you know you have different composers they'll make different creative choices uh the one thing that does make its way over from the original score is his original main theme which it finds its way in in two places first of all it's quoted directly or not quoted mm -hmm. it's it's we re-recorded his original main theme the, uh, the game okay. starts with a big sweeping camera fly through the city of lost heaven and the that whole sequence is animated and timed to his original music uh that's how it was in the original game and even though it's different in this one it's still been animated and timed to that same piece of music so it just made sense to to uh you know re-record his score so that it mm. matched the fidelity of what we had done with the new score and then in addition to that i took the first eight bars of his theme and i used that as a thematic motif 
that I then thread through the entire score. When I've worked with Hangar 13, the developer, when I've worked with them in the past, uh, their creative director, Hayden Blackman, really likes thematic scores. And so I have character themes for everybody, and then I have my own new theme, and then I have Vladimir's original themes opening. And those that's the mm. pool of themes that I uh, draw from that I then worked through the whole rest of the score. I hadn't realized looking into this. Uh, so I, I've never played the original Mafia, mm-hmm. uh, and I've yet to play the, the new one, mm-hmm. but obviously I've enjoyed some of the music. I haven't either. But I hadn't realized. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, that's the way it goes sometimes. Yeah. Uh, I realized, uh, well, looking into it, Vladimir never did another score, as far as I can tell, or uh, according to online resources. Yeah, I, uh, I've had a hard time finding that info out too. I, I looked it up yeah. and. Um, so weird. Yeah, uh, I don't actually know very much about him. Um, I, I, I think back when I first got on the project, I, I looked up the score for the game and I looked him up and I think I was looking for like some social media presence and i didn't see much of that either and yeah um he's uh he's a bit of a mystery to me what an interesting tale but that original theme is uh you know it's a it's it's a bit of a a, a kind of favorite if you go to youtube yes. and you know you'll find orchestras performing it and and people wallowing in the nostalgia of it and whatever else that's so, right uh it's really nice that you got to uh use that and work that back in there uh so we've already heard from uh, as good a place as any to start appropriately enough our next piece from the soundtrack that you're kindly sharing with mm-hmm. us is going to be nothing we couldn't handle so are there any uh, any sort of motifs and and linking themes uh, instrument wise or tone wise that our listeners should be looking out for with these yeah this track is basically my uh, so the the main character of the game his name's Tommy Angelo and this is basically Tommy's track. Um, the the very opening of this piece is my main theme for Tommy. Um, I have these string chords that just sort of it's like they just sort of like bloom and just and just like flower for a moment and then they're gone and then there's another one and then there's another one and then a trumpet comes over top of that uh, and. Those chords in particular and that trumpet melody get used all over the score. And I, not particularly the, the way that I use the chords here at the very opening, but, um, but those, the chords, how they're voiced and you know the, the structure of them, the, the notes of them, I use those chords a lot throughout this score. So interestingly, because the score is 90 minutes long and it's an open world game, and yeah. they need a lot more music than 90 minutes can cover without being too repetitive. The audio director for Hangar 13, a guy named Matt Bauer, Matt and I, when we worked on Mafia 3, we decided that we would make the score all in one key so that any cue can go into any other cue at any time. Right. So mm. basically, this whole score is done the same way. This whole score, everything is just in D minor the whole time. And um, with one exception, the one exception being... The- I was going to say, we're going we're gonna to hear that one exception later, which <laughs> yeah. is a, a striking exception. Yeah. But I'm, I'm really glad that was one of the tracks you picked for this, because it's, uh, yeah, it's something else, yeah. literally. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Um, but everything, everything else is in D minor and, and everything is recorded in, um, isolated 
uh, pieces so that the strings and the winds and the brass and percussion are all separate so Uh. that um, basically what I have done is I've given the development team as flexible a score as possible so that they can use a cue here, but pull out the melody, use a cue here, but maybe it's, uh, maybe it's the melody from a different cue put over top of it that it'll still work Mm. together. Um, whatever we can do to make sure they can stretch the material as much as they need to, in order to cover all of the game.
was nothing we couldn't handle by my guest Jesse Harlin from the definitive edition of Mafia this year's that's brand new brand new game yeah. uh exciting Jesse uh so apart from obviously the game director the audio director other people at Hangar 13 mm-hmm. uh is this uh, is this a, was this an entirely solo project is this uh, or are we hearing are we hearing real orchestras and musicians or is this your studios and libraries is there a uh, do you do your own orchestration if so sometimes it's the composer does it sometimes mm-hmm. they have somebody to assist what's what's the deal with that yeah uh it it is all live recorded um there is we recorded winds brass and percussion in nashville for a week and then cool. we recorded strings in Prague for a week. And it was really important to the team that we record in Chechia because the original game was developed by uh, Illusion Softworks, which has become yeah. 2K Czech. And mm-hmm. the game is really important to people in Chechia. And the, like you mentioned, the orchestras in Chechia still performs suites of the music uh, regularly. And because of all of that, um, it was important that we do what we could to reflect that in the music. And so we decided to record the strings in Prague. And then the only other thing is um, I recorded mandolin and cymbalom as uh, separate instruments that are overlaid on top of the score. Okay, I don't know that last one. Cymbalom, yeah. Cymbalom yeah. is <laughs> a, a Eastern European instrument, um, but it's right. similar to instruments that are found throughout the whole world. They all sort yeah. of um, are based off of the idea of looking a bit like a harp laying down on its side, and they're yeah. hammered with mallets, uh, like a hammered yes. dulcimer is what we'd call it in the US and I think in England. Uh, Symbolom right. is what it's it's known as in Eastern Europe. There in China, there's a traditional instrument. I think it's pronounced Yangkin or Yangquin. That's mm-hmm. uh, it, it's same principle, and um, it to me has this sound that functions a lot in the score like a bass mandolin. I, it can do a tremolo effect really nicely, uh, just like tremolo strings on a mandolin, and that has a very um traditionally italian folk sound to it and i wanted something that could do the same thing but in a lower register so i used uh cymbalom to to function as that uh like bass mandolin essentially um and then i when i write my cues if you would listen to my demos to how they sound in the final thing they're they're very fleshed out. Um, I basically, I just do, I do a lot of my own sort of initial orchestration. And then I did, I hired an orchestrator by the name of Carl, uh, Ridland and, um, Carl then takes my cues and basically cleans them up for the orchestra. He'll sometimes make changes. Sometimes he'll make, uh, he'll offer suggestions like um, I might have something in the orchestration that's just a solo clarinet line. He might put in the score that it's doubled by flutes or something like that. Um, mm. One of the things that he added to the score that I like very much is um, I didn't originally have vibraphone in it. And he's 
uh, he's written vibraphone into a number of cues that they just sort of mark out certain chords here and there, but it really has a nice effect in, in some key moments. Um, but if you, if you listen to the cue and you listen to my demo, they're very, very similar. So yeah, our next track is, it's called a bit of a situation. Uh, so I think you should prime the listener <laughs> by uh, setting this one up yeah. in well, in the context of, of the game, obviously, we're not going to give away any spoilers. I mean, I, I guess the main story of the Definitive Edition follows that of the 18-year-old original. Yep, However, yep. some people may not have played it. So, But I think this set piece can stand a little, uh, yeah, a little set. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, uh, there's a race. Uh, there's a car race in the game, and it's, it's an infa- uh, infamous race because it was yeah. extraordinarily difficult in the original game. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, difficulty spike. Yeah, right? which uh, it was like the uh, the car parking lot in Driver. It yes. was that sort of level of notoriety. That's right. Like, yeah, you might never get to see the rest of the game. That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and not only um, not only was it super difficult, it also didn't have any music originally. Um, <laughs> and when they were doing the new version, which is also <laughs> becoming pretty infamous as being really difficult oh. people, it, I've just, I've been looking at people's r- responses to the game on Twitter and, uh, on Reddit over the weekend. And there's a lot, I was sure they'd tone it down. <laughs> uh, you know, there is a lot of complaining going on about that okay. race. Patch time. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think, you know, uh, it. If you want to true to the source, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's true to the source. Um, but uh, but so I was getting close to being done with writing the music, and the development team came to me and said, "Hey, we've got this race sequence, and we'd love it if you could take one of the remaining chase uh, intensity cues that you need to write." I think I had two left. Can you take one mm. of those two and make it specifically for this race sequence? I said, okay, sure, not a problem. Um, we only have a couple days left here. I'm barreling towards the end of of uh, writing. I, I had to be done in something like four or five days um, so that we could get everything off to Carl and get the orchestrations finished so we could go to Prague. And uh, And so it was a Friday that they came to me and said, can you please do this cue? And here's here's some reference video of what the race looks like, and we've tempted in some music to show you what we're looking for. And it was just like completely insane, <laughs> just uh, endless notes, never stopping. Um, you know, like 170 BPM of just the most intense classical music. Uh, it was. You know, they had a. They sent me two versions, and one I think was some sort of Aaron Copeland Western thing. And they said right. like, "This is okay. the intensity level, but we don't want it to sound like an American Western." Um, yeah, and then sure. the other piece, I never was able to find out what it was. I didn't recognize it, and I've tried to use Shazam to identify it, but right. it gets yeah. totally drowned out by uh, race car sounds. So Shazam has no idea what to do with this video. Oh. Um, but it was, it was like, um, it was like some sort of super fast Mahler or Tchaikovsky mm. or something, some late 19th century romantic era, intense piece of music. 
Okay. And I just... That explains some something about this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just didn't know what to do when I, or I heard that. I just didn't know how I would get that done in the amount of time I had left. But I... So I just... Eventually, just after like an hour of tr- pulling my hair out, what little hair I have left, and and trying to figure out how to do it, I just decided, okay, well, I'm gonna stop worrying about how to do it, and I'm just gonna go do it. And um, yeah, and did I wrote like crazy over the weekend, and by Monday morning, it was done.
that was a bit of a situation to say the least <laughs> by jesse harley yeah. what uh, is such fun that track uh obviously i was you know pr- preparing myself for this uh interview this show mm-hmm. by listening to the music mm-hmm. as you do and yeah so i kind of got into that mood right. mood that that kind of um you know brooding mm-hmm. bit of noir bit of jazz mm-hmm. uh the, those sort of italian undertones or overtones mm-hmm. and then suddenly this grand caper starts yes this kind of fairground ride it's it's such a such fun yeah it was like i said everything else in the scores in d minor and then because this one song is only used here it didn't have to go into any other pieces of music it didn't have to come nothing had to come into it nothing had to it didn't have to lead into anything else so i could do whatever i wanted with it and um (laughs) i knew it was going to be major because uh that just was the tone that we wanted to set with it so i just went berserk and changed keys like crazy throughout this thing um i i would i would write for a bit and then i would just feel like uh, oh maybe i've been in one key for too long so i would suddenly modulate Mm -hmm. to somewhere else and there's one part in the queue where i wasn't quite paying attention to what i was doing and i ended up in c sharp major which is terrible for a film score um, (laughs) because when you record film and game scores, it's different than when you're recording regular classical music. They don't use key signatures in the scores for film and game scores. So that means that every time Mm. there's an accidental, you have to write it into the score. And when you're in C sharp, there's no other key that'll get you more accidentals. So you're just constantly writing accidentals all over the place. And it's creating a lot more visual noise for the players. And so I, I sort of, I ended up in it and then I realized, oh, whoops, um, <laughs> this is going to be annoying. So I, as soon as I realized it, I was like, okay, I got to modulate out of here and, and shift it out of it after about like three or four bars and, it just was fun to have that freedom to kind of be able to do whatever I wanted with the, uh, with the cue harmonically. It sounds like it. And uh, yeah, I think it, while it does get across the urgency in which you had to write it, it also, uh, it also, yeah, has that sense of kind of, um, yeah, just kind of letting your, your hair flow free <laughs> and kind of letting the wind take you where it does kind of thing. My, I suppose what would be interesting now is if, uh, if the, the, dev team decides not to patch the difficulty mm-hmm. of the notorious race will people feel as fondly towards this music after the eight thousandth <laughs> time around the track <laughs> yeah i don't know I, I i had somebody actually reach not your problem i guess yeah but. <laughs> i had someone reach out to me on twitter this weekend and they said uh it was it was they were super proud of themselves they were writing in all caps with exclamation marks and it was about how they had just spent seven hours but had finally beaten the race and how happy they were to have finally beaten it and it was amazing (laughs) to me that when they beat it one of the first things they wanted to do was come and not complain to me about having to hear about the music but just like share that that success and and you know say like hey thanks for such a great moment i really it drove me crazy but i'm done with it and and i'm happy so yeah i know you're the the I know the musician guy, not the the coder or the game designer, but do you know how much of the the game's sort of code base it shares, or is it just completely ground up? I believe it's remake? completely ground up. Yeah. Every element that I know of has been remade from scratch. 
Um, sure. And while I don't know about the code base, I'm pretty sure that the code base is built more off of the work Hangar 13 did on on Mafia 3 than it is the original yeah, work. That's, that would be my assumption. It's, yeah, it's an assumption yeah. on my part, but I, they I think it's just decided fair. to make the race true to the original. Yeah, apparently. there's a lot of there's yeah. a, there was a lot of let's um, let's pay attention to how things were before. There's also a lot of things that they changed, um, but they definitely mm. did try to pay really uh, thoughtful homage to the original game. Now, probably uh, a change in the tone uh, of the soundtrack as we go into our next piece, which is probably of the uh, more wistful and romantic, at least to begin with anyway. This is uh, Sarah. Yeah, that's right. Sarah is the love interest of Tommy Angelo. And it's the only time in the game where you can see Tommy kind of dealing with the stresses and strains of everything else that's going on around him. As as someone who's a part of this mafia family, he's being asked to... Um, kill people and destroy property and all kinds of terrible things. And it's just the way that life is for these characters. So his friends mm. are doing the same things that he is. And then all of a sudden he meets and falls in love with Sarah. And he has moments where he can think about something else and, and, rather than just look from day to day to day of what is he being asked to do, he's finally able to start looking at what, what would he like his life to be like? And what would he like his future to be like? And, and um, so there needed to be a real big tonal change for the music related to Sarah. Um, and so I wanted to pull in, uh, I wanted to pull in a jazz influence so that it was immediately apparent that the situation was different, that the, that the mood was different. The feelings, the characters were feeling didn't match what was happening in the rest of the score. And I, I thought if I stick with a traditionally classical score for all of that music as well, it might not move the needle enough to really make a ton of emotional difference. So if I change it to be more jazz influenced in those moments, it'd be immediately apparent that, that this is a different situation, that these are different feelings. And this is a different way of looking at things where Tommy's able to relax for a moment. And, um, and in a score that can feel pretty intimate with the orchestra, it was a way to find a different level of intimacy in the score for, for those moments.
was Sarah from the Mafia Definitive Edition soundtrack by my guest, Jesse Harlin. Now, the next piece, as I said earlier, I haven't played the original Mafia. Mm-hmm. I don't know the story, but what I do know is that the title of this track may be the sort of equivalent of the Notorious when they released the soundtrack to Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace before the film had came yeah. out and everyone said, oh, now I know that character dies. <laughs> um, I, I, all I, I can only assume... Uh, that something bad happens to a canine companion. Some of my favourite rock songs involve uh, sad songs about dogs. Mm. Um, obviously, it's a it's a country trope. Yep. Um, but is there anything sadder? This song, this track, sorry, is called "Smarting Over the Dog." Um, are you are you a dog lover um, in real life? I'm an animal lover for sure. Yeah, yeah. And um, did that help? <laughs> yeah, it actually really got to me for those who are suddenly worried you don't see anything bad happen to any animals in the game um no animals were harmed yeah but it's there's a there is a dog involved in the backstory of two characters and Mm -hmm. it um it changes the trajectory of these characters over years and it's it's it was really impactful when i was reading the scripts it really stuck with me in fact the the titles for all of the songs specifically come from all of the scripts every title is a piece of dialogue somewhere in the game Uh, okay um and so so someone at one point says smarting over the dog but uh it, it became this thing where i wrote a couple of different cues specifically in mind for this conversation and what's interesting about doing games um that isn't the same with film film is film is a a post-production situation almost entirely where the film is more or less done and edited before it comes to the composer who then starts writing music for what they can react to when i'm writing music for the game games take so much time and effort and moving parts in order to complete that I have to write the music at the same time that they're making the game. So I'm not able to just write in response to things I'm seeing. I have to kind of anticipate what might be there. And uh, especially when it comes to the cinematic sequences in the game, the, 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 what we call cutscenes. Cutscenes are absolutely always the last thing to be done um, in a game. And so I can't wait until the game is finished with those in order to then score them. Because if I did that, I would delay the, the whole game process would have to wait for me and they would just don't do it that way. So I write a lot of music that is hopefully then modular enough that they can basically create pools of music editing material that they can edit into the cutscenes. So when I read the scripts about this, these characters and their relationship to this dog, I, I was really moved by it, and I wrote a number of cues specifically with this in mind, and it, they ended up being, I think, some of the most like moving and, and um, yeah. d- deeply emotional cues of the whole score.
outsmarting over the dog by jesse harlan from mafia definitive edition as all our tracks are today but i do also i have to ask well well jesse's here about a couple of other soundtracks if i may um from the past Mm -hmm. uh so one that springs to mind i think uh editor jay would would be cross if i didn't mention the fact that uh you i think your first a big game score was Star Wars Republic Commando 15 years ago. Yeah, the first big one. Um I had I had scored two games previous to that, but they were small things. Um mm. the first one that I scored was for a PlayStation game called Space Debris, but it only came out in Europe. And oh, then I remember it. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, so there was a game company, it was an English game company called Rage Software and Indeed. Yeah. Yes. And they had a game um, called Incoming back in the 90s, and they'd made yeah, a sequel yeah. to Incoming called Incoming Forces, and that was the second game I scored. Um, huh. And then I, I, and I did that because there were a Liverpool-based uh, game development studio, and I was actually yeah. going to school in Liverpool um, doing my oh. undergraduate work there. Um, that's where our editor is right now oh, okay. as he's editing this audio. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I lived in Liverpool for three years and, and, um, just lucked out really with, um, getting connected with them. That's how it all began. Yeah. So I did those two scores and then I moved to the States and I, um, ended up eventually after a couple of years, uh, getting a job on staff at LucasArts, uh, and my first score that I wrote at LucasArts was, was Republic Commando. So cool. So to be at LucasArts um, ever, really, yeah. obviously the dream for lots of us. It was amazing. I think you're, you're like a, a few years younger than I am, but still you're the right age to have grown up mostly with uh, with the original trilogy yep. and, and so yep. on. So I, the thing I have to ask you about, I bet you've been asked about this a load of times, but you're credited on the internet as having created mm. the Star Wars language, Ancient Mandalorian, right. for the game. Yeah. So that was then adopted. So there's the author, Karen Travis, yes. who's written sci-fi books about Halo and Gears of War and Star Wars. Right. She took what you created for that game and put it into that canon, that lore. Yeah, she she did a lot more work on Ancient on okay. Mandalorian than I did. Um, but I yeah. definitely kicked it all off. Um, it was it was a. a product of necessity really um Mm. i wanted to do a choral score for the game and when you want to do a choral score the first thing you have to figure out is what the language is they're going to sing yeah and so you know the typical choice of things like latin or whatnot doesn't Mm. make any sense in star wars because they don't speak regular earth languages John Williams used a bit of Sanskrit. Right, exactly. Um, and yeah. so I didn't want to use English um, because I just didn't think that that would be appropriate. So it quickly became a question of, well, I'm going to have to make something else up, really. Right. And I could make it be just nonsense or I could do a little more work on it than that. And I know that Star Wars fans are really, really dedicated star, uh, really dedicated fans. <laughs> and I know that because I'm a really dedicated fan too. And so uh, knowing that I myself was the kind of person who, when I saw 
Star Wars writing in games and in film. I I was the kind of person yeah. who wanted to know what the signs said, and you know, Absolutely. just like there's a uh, an alphabet called Arbesh, which is the Star That's Wars it. alphabet. Yeah. So knowing that they're the people that will do that that hard decoding work, I thought, well, I'm gonna put in the work on my end so that there's stuff there for them to actually work on. So uh, rather than it just being a hodgepodge of random syllables, I kind of made grammar rules for myself and I defined what I thought the alphabet would be. And I defined what the um, uh, like certain vocabulary that would get used over and over again and built a, a little kind of proto dictionary for myself out of these terms. And I, I didn't set out to initially have it be ancient Mandalorian. And it's interesting because I've talked to the game's audio director after the fact, uh, um, David mm. Collins. And it's, it's funny how things are so many years after something's been made, but he and I both have very distinct memories of the moment that each of us apparently thought, Oh, it should be Mandalorian. Um, so I don't remember who actually did, came up with the idea. It might've been him. It might've been me, but at some <laughs> point an email was sent to Lucasfilm's um, like uh lore keeper. Uh, the, this person that they have on staff, who is the keeper of the Holocron. Yeah, ex that's exactly what their title is. Yeah. Um, they are the yeah. keeper of the Holocron. And they, yeah. um, we asked them like, do you think there'd be any problem with us naming this new thing that we're doing Mandalorian? And uh, they said no. So uh, that's how it that's how it came to be. Okay. So my next obvious question is: so in the original trilogy, we heard Boba Fett speaking, uh, although he's not a Mandalorian. He had Mon Mandalorian armor, right? right? He was speaking English or basic right. or whatever they call yep. it. Basic. Then in the prequel trilogy, we hear Jango Fett yep. uh, as uh, Temerara Morrison speaking English, mm -hmm. and in the Mandalorian, yep, the recent TV series, they all speak. English. Yep. So have Disney binned it off? Is your ancient Mandalorian still canon? That's what I want to know. It, it's and not. would you love it to be would I ah, I can tell you it is So you're not gonna hear it in season two. Well, so they made when Disney bought um Lucasfilm, they made a very clear point of saying everything that came before in the form of yeah. games and books if it's not TV, if it's not, um, if it's not TV or a film, it's not canon. Yeah. No. So that means that it's not canon. And as but they can willfully decide to pick bits up here and there if they feel like it. They've made certain nods and and they totally can references. Yeah, the cl the commandos so themselves are canon uh, because they've yep, appeared yep. in the clo the Clone Wars cartoon. Show. Yeah. Um, yes, yes. but Mandalorian, ancient Mandalorian, Mandalorian itself is not yet recanonized. I would love Come it on. if it would be. John Favreau, <laughs> I, 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 he listens to Sound of Play every week. Yes. I'm sure. I know he's a, he's a gaming guy, isn't he? Yeah. So I, I suspect he's uh, he's aware of the game Republic Commando mm -hmm. at the very least. Um, well, fingers crossed. And and Dave Filoni, of yeah. course, who's like their their keeper of the holocron right. for the mandalorian and he was the one that i believe pushed to get the commandos in back into the show so um he okay he's definitely on the Come commandos on. side that's for sure okay 
I'll send you a high five when we hear a bit of ancient Mandalorian. <laughs> anyway, enough Star Wars for now, because that's uh, obviously I've, I've had a number of the composers, the many composers now who have had that mighty but yeah. enviable task of having to take, you know, John Williams music and make something new or different yeah. or similar or whatever. So that was that was kind of with the Force Unleashed and Republic Commando. And of course, still the old Republic. Still. Um, yep. Yeah. Yep. I guess you're still writing music for that, are you? Because I am. It, it just keeps on going. Yep, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but back to Mafia for mm. now. Perhaps we'll have you back on for the old. Rep- we have a we have a big. Uh, we we have at least one big Star Wars fan on the team, other than myself. But sure. uh, but for now, we're talking uh, the world of organized crime, mm-hmm. and the next one is, uh, is sure to uh, shake off the cobwebs. What's the rumpus? Right. Tell us about this. Is, does this one involve the? I think I picked up on a. There's like a motif, a kind of percussive heartbeat yes. motif that comes mm-hmm. out through the through the soundtrack. Yeah, I. Um, you know, when you're when you're a composer and you've been at it for over twenty years, like I am, there comes a time during every project thematic thematic project where you're sitting there staring at your piano and you're staring at like a blank arrangement page in your sequencer and you're you're thinking all right i gotta let's start over i gotta come up with new material and um there's all sorts of different ways to to begin and and you can begin by reading scripts and getting inspired or you can begin by uh thinking kind of academically about things that you know about melodies like stepwise motion is more memorable to people than large jumps in in melodies and sometimes i think you probably just set out to challenge yourself and it just so happened that i was sitting here and i got this idea in my head i wonder if i can make a memorable motif a memorable theme that only has one note um and that's how it came about. I I just I found this rhythmic motif that worked and um paired it with some orchestration that I really liked. I found that if I if I orchestrated it so that I had low woodwinds on the first part of this beat and then low brass on the second part, so it um it had this weak, strong, weak, strong kind of pulse to it that I really liked the sound of that a lot and that it seemed very flexible. I could move it between registers. I could move it between instruments. I could move it from being tonal to just putting it within the percussion. It actually had a lot of flexibility and I kind of fell in love with it early on.
that was What's the Rumpus by Jesse from Mafia. Uh, that was the six of our eight allotted tracks. Time is slightly against us, but I just quickly wanted to ask about the... So, obviously, you worked on the uh, original score for Mafia 3 yeah. uh, with Jim Bonney right. on that yep. one. Um, and with all these games, so obviously, uh, I think this one's set furthest back in time. So, obviously, you've got different kind of... Uh, uh, relationship with the era that, right. that the the story is happening in, and so on. You've also got uh, a situation where the middle game had two other composers right. uh, from the uh, the uh, Czech team. Yep. I, guess, I think so. Yeah, Matus Siroki and Adam Kuruch. Mm-hmm. Oh, Kuruch. Apologies for any mispronunciations there. Uh, and again, obviously, that game being set in the middle. Uh, did you kind of? I don't know if you're familiar with the game or did, did you want to kind of uh, absorb what goes on in that for the sake of continuity? Or again, did you, would you rather kind of steer clear of any influences that you didn't necessarily? Want? I've listened to that score again, maybe once or twice. Um, yeah, but I did, I paid, um, I did pay homage to it as well because um, there actually is a recurring character in all three of the games and Mm. uh when i was doing my music for mafia 3 um the main character of mafia 2 a guy named Vito scaletta returns as a secondary character in mafia 3 and so i based his music thematically off of the main theme of mafia 2 even though it's uh it sounds very different because uh, Jim and I wrote a blues score for mm. Mafia 3. Um, so instead of the big orchestral score of Mafia 2, you now have that same theme on acoustic guitar or on upright plucked bass instead of, uh, you know, bowed double bass. Um, and it, it ends up, it ends up being a, a fairly subtle nod to the first to uh, to Mafia Two because I don't I don't know that I've really seen very many fans comment on the fact that Vito's music in mm. Three comes from Mafia Two, um, mm. but I was a lot less subtle about it in Mafia One and there's a part in the game where I just completely quote the main theme of Mafia Two yeah. just um, nice. I didn't have the score and I didn't have um anything to go off of so i just had to sit there and and transcribe it by ear and um recreate it but it's there and it's uh it's it's definitely a big showpiece kind of moment um it's in that's that's in the last track the track uh um under new stars okay yeah we'll be closing out the show with mm. that but first we have our business has rules it's uh, chronological, the soundtrack, and uh, it's, a, it's a real sort of Shakespearean tragedy, this story. And so by the time you get to Our Business Has Rules, it, it, there, you know, there's an ominous note to just the title, and um, things are unraveling quickly by the time we get to this cue, um, and, and it's, things are not going well for Tommy and the rest of the main characters.
Our Business Has Rules by Jesse Harlan. I want to thank Jesse for joining me today uh, to talk about his Mafia Definitive Edition soundtrack and some other bits and bobs. You, the listener, and to Editor Jay as well. Keep your requests coming in for the regular show over on the forum or via social media. Jesse, have you got, other than the game, have you got anything you want to plug, your own outlets or... Uh, any other projects you can tell us about? Yeah, um, I, I've been super busy lately. So um, if you if you enjoy multiplayer shooters, I just uh, right at the beginning of the whole pandemic, um, mm-hmm. I worked with uh, Riot and they released a game called Valorant. Um, so you can go hear that music. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I continue to work with bioware on the old republic so um you know i've been doing that for for 13 years amazingly and um you can probably guess there's more along the way so Mm -hmm. um so that that'll be there and i'm i'm hard at work right now on what is possibly the biggest game of my career so that'll be a couple years out before it's done but it's huge and extremely exciting and uh i i can't wait to talk about that one oh hopefully we'll have you back in a couple of years before we talk about the closing track i just it, it i couldn't not mention yoku's island Express. <laughs> i think of 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 anything uh of, of all your works i think it's the one we featured the most on this show really? uh listener requests yeah wow. people love it that's great um ryan quintal from our team Asks, I'd like to understand how Jesse built the Yoku soundtrack to evoke an island vibe without ever feeling too tropey. Mm. Outside of the first couple of tracks, nothing actually feels like, quote, island vibes. Yeah. What inspired that direction of a darker sound? Um, well, the game gets dark. Um, yeah. The deeper yeah. you get into it, it, it starts out really deceptively bright and happy. Um, and then it becomes, uh, it becomes a story, not about a mailman, but about trying to save elder gods from being wiped out from a, a God slayer. And isn't it always, yeah, it's, it's an amazing game. I love that game. Mm. And, um, I think part of what does that, I think part of what helps avoid the the standard sort of tropes is that i set a goal for myself on that score to make every cue out of two things that don't go together Mm. peanut butter and pickles on every cue and see how that works so um while the very first cue uh, well, not the main theme, but when you first get on the island, it's uh, it's bright, it's sunny. We've got ukulele, which is a very tropical kind of sound, but then it's paired with um, beatboxing and turntablism yeah. and uh, that kind of that kind of odd dichotomy of ideas finds its way into every single track. And so the score is constantly working against itself in a sense. And yet it works. I I was surprised at how it works, but it works. Um, You know? Yeah. I I stuck it on, on, 
Spotify last night just to uh, re-familiarise myself with a couple of tracks. I end up listening to the whole thing all the way through uh, and enjoying every second of it. I think it's, <laughs> so, Thanks. I think it's like, um, as you know, I really love uh, the orchestrated stuff, the cinematic stuff, the you know, the AAA game scores. Mm-hmm. But sometimes when you know when when you've been around as many years as I have, you feel like you've heard a lot of stuff that kind of has a similar vibe. Yes. So when something comes along that does mix up peanut butter and pickles or whatever <laughs> that's the, often the stuff that can really kind of your brain starts sparking yeah. and going oh, okay you can kind of you can there's no rules really yeah exactly can, there's no yeah. there were no rules on that score and and i i adored that there were no rules i was able to like there's a track in there called the Sp- space monks which has um 8-bit Nintendo sounding chiptune yes, music, sure but does. mixed with mm-hmm. Tuvan throat singing. Yeah. And, <laughs> and over top of that is a vocoder that is um, speaking the DNA sequence of yeast. And okay. I, yeah. I didn't recognize that funnily enough. Yeah. It, it's just, you know, <laughs> it's, it's me just sitting there with a microphone going G A G C C A G T T G. You know, I had, I had, uh, I wanted to have something sciency because that's what these monks are all about. Um, and I originally, because they're frogs, I was trying to find the DNA sequence of frogs, but I couldn't find that online. And for whatever reason, oh. the first thing I did find oh. was the DNA sequence of yeast. So, well, it's an important substance. <laughs> so I just, that's Keep, what I spoke into the, yes, yeah, it's, it's what's in there now. So. All right. Well, uh, we're going to close the show with Under New Stars. Thanks again, Jesse. Uh, do you just want to give just a couple of words on uh, on this this final piece for today? Yeah, this is... I, I actually teared up while I was writing this piece of music, which is Aww. amazingly rare. Um, That's interesting. Yeah, yeah I, di- I didn't know how, how, it, how, how likely that is as somebody who doesn't compose, but... You ju- you got to think, you know, if you if you're writing something sad, yeah. surely it can affect you. Yeah, too. it really did. I was I was taken aback by it when it happened, and knew at that moment, like, okay, this is. I think I've I think I've really hit on the right way to end this whole score. Um, mm. And uh, and it it really it just um, it I, I just found it to be a really moving kind. It was the last piece of music I wrote for the game, and right. it was. Uh, it ended up feeling like the end of a journey and the end of a, like the culmination of a big, long emotional process. Um, not only in what the story itself is, but in the process of making it. So it, uh, yeah, I, I was really surprised, but, but I, I got choked up. If it worked on you, it's got to have worked on everyone else. I, I right? hope so. so. Thanks once again, Jesse. Mafia Definitive Edition is, of course, available on uh, the big three pillars. Not Switch at the moment. It's not that kind of a game, but <laughs> PC, PS4 and Xbox One in the usual places. Enjoy this piece and we'll see you next time on Sound of Play. <laughs>